Hi, and welcome to Matt Holman Talks Mental Health, the podcast where I have the opportunity to sit down and chat with amazing humans about their journeys with mental health. For this episode, I'm so happy to introduce Daisy to the conversation. Welcome, Daisy. Hello, it's lovely to be here today. Oh, thank you. Um, so just very quick introduction, as I always do, I just like to introduce people in my way of understanding how, how we connected um, and why we're together here today. But Daisy, I'll let you do the full introduction to yourself in a moment, let people know who you are, what you do. Um, but Daisy and I, we're both on the Inside Out leaderboard this year. So I think it's um, it's a wonderful opportunity to sit down with somebody who is an emerging leader on the leaderboard, which is great. So, you know, we're going to hear some great insights and thoughts around, you know, what you're doing and how you're doing it. So fantastic. But the most important thing is Daisy put out a post and I'm not going to share anything about the post because I'm going to let Daisy talk about it. I'm um, talking about her own journey with mental health um, in LinkedIn and it's just been phenomenal in the amount of people that have read it, supported it, liked and commented on it. So when I saw it I was like oh my gosh I need to have a conversation with this amazing human. So here we are Daisy and I together having a conversation about this post or about life. Um, so welcome Daisy. I'll let you do your proper introduction. I'm Daisy and I as, as you just said, um, I shared a post on LinkedIn. I've shared many, 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 many posts now um, on different social media platforms and videos talking about my journey with mental health because for a very, very, very long time, I did not talk about it. I felt like I couldn't talk about it. I see in so many people who are struggling with mental health that they feel shame, they are concerned about stigma and... I've been through years of therapy, years of healing, and I'm now in a position where I'm very comfortable with what I've been through. I'm very comfortable with where I am, and I'm in a position where I can speak about it. Um, so I'm taking that over and over and over again, because I don't want anyone to feel the shame that I felt or to hear the silence that I heard. Um, yeah, I am a law student at the University of Essex. I'm currently um, career changing to train as a solicitor, which is very exciting. Former sixth form dropout, now scoring the highest mark in the year. Um, not too shabby, <laughs> which links in again with this um, journey of there's always hope. I dropped out of sixth form because of mental health, didn't think I could go to university. And here I am um, loving it and doing really well. Um, you mentioned the inside out leaderboard that's a big part of this journey about sharing my experiences um, I'm grateful to have met Rob the founder um, and it was only last week actually all of the emerging leaders got together and had a chat um, which was really special to be connected with people in a similar boat um, I'm marketing manager at a new law firm called Tiger Law where I work remotely um yeah I think that's probably it's about me Amazing. <laughs> it's just great to be here today I'm really happy to be oh. be on the show thank you oh you're more than welcome and, it, and it's just a pleasure to meet people with similar you know like-mindedness around mental health and wanting to really raise this conversation so you know thank you for everything you're doing and and you know I said to you before we recorded this you know I'm really proud of you for for all that you're doing in this space as well and I know it's sometimes it's hard to accept sort of feedback positive affirmation and feedback for what we're doing but you are doing an incredible job so just want to throw it out straight off the bat so welcome so the big part of this is your journey, your story. You've alluded to some of those points in there, of course, which no doubt you're going to share a little bit more around the depth of that. So the question I always ask to anybody that comes on the podcast is your journey with mental health. How would you define it? How would you describe it? Tell us a story. My journey with mental health. 
um, I would describe it as a lifelong adventure, challenge, journey of self-discovery. Um, there's been a lot of things that happened when I was young that massively impacted me that were very traumatic that I didn't really become aware of until later on in life. Um, so as I share this journey with you today, I'll I'll explain, I'll explain it not in chronological order, but in the order that I became aware, discovered, um, overcame events in life. Um, as with many mental health stories, it starts when I was a young child. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because childhood trauma just loves to stay with you, doesn't it? Um, and impact you into adult life and mine was no different. Um, I grew up in a small island called Alderney in the Channel Islands, three miles by one and a half miles, 2000 people, um, very, very small, very, very unchanging and um, frozen in time, very beautiful, um, but very old fashioned and conservative and for me, ultimately, suffocating. Right. Um, I went to school there up until I was about 11 and um, past the 11 plus. Um, and everything had, had gone fairly well up until that point, at least as far as I was concerned. I'm sure to other people looking in, um, the, it would be described as, you know, underprivileged, um, I did face a lot of challenges. Um, I grew up in a single parent family, um, living on benefits. Um, not that that means anything in and of itself. Um, I never went without, but the narrative was always around a lack. So I grew up kind of lacking, never really had enough of anything. That was what I was taught and what I absorbed. Um, so I passed the 11 plus, which was my big break. I was going to be able to move away to a different island called Guernsey. I was going to be able to have proper education. Um, and it was a big opportunity for me to make something better from life. It was my chance. That was what I was told, what I absorbed, what the messaging was. Um, so I moved away 11 years old to a different island um, and I lived with a stranger family, a family of strangers during term time called a host family, um, which for an 11 year old is a really big thing, you know, moving away from home. Um, you can't even visit them because you are across the sea yeah. <laughs> um, a return flight was about £100 at the time. So it wasn't like I could hop on a bus and go home. So totally separated from family and friends, living with a family of strangers. That was really tough. Yeah. That was really, really tough. And I was unaware of this at the time, but in hindsight, um, probably very triggering. Because um, as I later discovered, as a young child, you know, three, four years old, I was in respite foster care. And um, so at sometimes the body keeps the score. We might not be consciously aware of um, something that's happened to us, but 
events, memories, they'll, they'll trigger it and we'll feel it. So not only was that very hard for the fact that at 11 years old, I was separated from family and friends and sent off to live with strangers. It also would have brought up a lot of the things of when that happened to me when I was three, four years old, that I wasn't aware of at the time. Um, so the first family I was with for about six weeks, really, really struggled actually, really struggled. I would cry myself to sleep pretty much every night. Um, I was 11, I didn't know what depression was. <laughs> I just knew yeah. I was very unhappy um, and spoke to my mum about it. There wasn't really an option for me to go home. I had to give myself this, this chance, this one chance at an education. Um, so I moved to a different host family which was actually my former foster family from when I was a young child. Okay. Which was really nice because I already knew them. And um, throughout my childhood, I'd gone to visit them a couple of times a year. Again, I never knew what was respite foster care, what wasn't. I didn't know I'd ever been in foster care. They were always presented to me as family friends. So that was my normal. So it was great that I could go and stay with them at 11 because I already knew them. Um, so I did, and I was really, really, really happy. However, not everyone in my life was very, very, very happy. Um, and my mum in particular was, was not very happy at that time. Um, she would miss me a lot, quite understandably, but it became, I became very homesick, I think, because of that. I didn't really have the freedom to kind of move on with my new life, my new education and my new circumstances because there was still my actual family on a different island, different things happening there. Um, and for whatever reason or another, I then became very, very unhappy, very, very homesick, couldn't really settle um, and moved back to Alderney at about 13 years old, right. um, which was probably when my journey with depression really truly started, not that I quite understood what it was at the time. Um, at 14, I started self-harming. Um, I struggled to kind of settle down with a friendship group. So the, the school in Alderney was very, very small. There were 16 people in my entire year. Right. So to be one of the two people who had left and gone to grammar school <clears throat> there was some resentment around that and there was some resentment when I returned the other kids didn't really want me to be there I got bullied um I was excluded by the kids I, I really struggled to make any friends and when there's that little people I mean 16 in my entire year yeah when you're rejected by the group there's not another group for you to go and make friends with so at a very early age, I was compromising my self-esteem, my self-worth, my values, just to be accepted by the group, um, which stayed with me for many years. I think as many of us do as kids, yeah. we just want to feel included and then we will change who we are to fit in. Um, so that's what I did. And time passed. Um, I made friends. But when I started self-harming, um, it was quite clear to me that I wasn't happy. I just, I didn't really know why or what was causing it. I just started to hate myself, absolutely hate myself. Um, and it got worse and worse and worse. I was very isolated. Um, I think the first 
proper period of not wanting to live anymore was when I was 15. Um, I'd actually been grounded for two weeks <laughs> and I lost my Wi-Fi privileges and couldn't speak to anybody. I literally sat in my bedroom for two weeks on my own going eating meals back up to my bedroom it was miserable I remember just looking out the window just waiting for it to be over and that was the first time I thought do you know what I don't actually want to be here and which you know I was a kid yeah I was a kid and when I got to 16 things kind of hadn't really gotten any better and I was just numb. I was exhausted all of the time. Um, I was still self-harming and that had become an addiction by that point. I couldn't go to sleep um, without cutting myself. So it was every night and I gradually, um, you know, and this might be quite triggering for some people watching it, it's hard for me to talk about it, but when you do self-harm regularly, you kind of stop feeling it. So it escalated and escalated. Um, and it, it helped me cope, you know, it's what I did to get through it was, it was a survival mechanism for me. I just needed to feel something, um, because my days, you know, if you've been depressed, you, you just don't, you don't feel anything. It's just monotone. Everything's monotone. There's no color and um, nothing interested me. Nothing it was just lifeless. I was the living dead. I was like, the lights were on, but nobody was home. Yeah. <laughs> become a bit of a shell of a person. Yeah. Um, so I stopped going to school. Um, when was the first time that I spoke to the GP about it? I can't remember exactly. I think my mum might have taken me to the GP, or maybe it was when I... Um, started missing a lot of school it would have been flagged um but I, I did end up speaking to the GP who um diagnosed me with severe clinical depression or he passed me on to a specialist who then diagnosed me I can't remember exactly yeah. um and at 16 I was on antidepressants um which did help me a little bit they it was the first time that it had really been taken seriously by anybody else. Okay. Anyone had really noticed that something was really wrong. Because um, like I said, I was, I was very isolated. It was just me and my mom. Um, my dad, I would see him, but I didn't speak to my dad from the age of 11 until I was 15. So we were still rebuilding our relationship at that point. Um, so I was very isolated. No one was really caring for me I was just getting on with it um so I took antidepressants things got a little bit better but didn't really deal with with any of the trauma which I wasn't aware of I didn't really trust anybody to tell them what was going on um and I ended up trying to take my own life um at 16 16 years old was the first time I just turned 16 um by overdose and that was while I was in Alderney. So I went to the hospital in Alderney. I think my mum had called the ambulance or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, just horrific, very, very horrific, horrible, horrible thing to go to. Um, I can't remember if it was the first attempt or the second attempt, 
but I was um, medevaced, like a medical evacuation to Guernsey. Yeah. Um, they put me on the lifeboat because the weather was too bad for the planes to fly. And the lifeboat crew were people that I knew. One of them was someone I went to school with. Um, he was obviously older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was horrible. So that is when that shame first kicked in because wow. I was in such a vulnerable place. You just tried to kill yourself. You're being like in an emergency medical evacuation and you're looking around and the crew members are looking at you like, like, oh, we, I don't think they were trying to be judgmental or anything but they're obviously confused like why are you here because they knew me yeah of course yeah but there's no such thing as privacy or secrecy or (laughs) it was immediately in the public domain (laughs) domain for everyone to gossip about and I knew that so that was really hard for me to deal with really 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 hard Mm. um and I was um admitted to the psychiatric ward again in Guernsey so across a sea separated from family and the few friends I had so no one could come and visit me it was really really tough and that isolation drove me further into depression and um, into not wanting to be around anymore Um, I was in there for a couple of weeks they said they didn't section me but they said if I tried to leave and if I didn't be in there voluntarily then they would section me yeah. um, so I was like okay I'll, I'll do as I'm told like I don't I didn't care anyway at that yeah. point and um, I was like this is something different so yeah <laughs> I'll give it a try um but yeah again I was released a, a few months later I tried to kill myself again got readmitted to the psychiatric ward and um it was that second time to be honest that scared me because it was the adult ward um right. I don't know if I was 16 or 17 at that point, but I was at the cutoff cams um, in the adult ward with the adult patients. And I remember kind of looking around and thinking, I just shouldn't be here. Mm. And I, I, this is probably the point where I became really interested in hearing other people's stories okay. um, because I spoke to a lot of the people in there and they just had the most fascinating um, sometimes horrific but I, I learned so much from listening to them and asking them questions and I met people with bipolar people with um, paranoid schizophrenia um, I also met different people with schizophrenia as well so just seeing how very very different they were and their thoughts were and their beliefs were it just opened my eyes as well and it made me realize you, you can't just hear someone's label or just put a label on someone and so true assume that you're going to know what they're going to be like or what they're going to be capable of or so that was a really eye-opening um time for me and I think that's probably where my first little spark of hope came in mm-hmm. um because I kind of looked around and a lot of them they'd been in there so many times I mean it was it was their life they'd be released they'd do something they'd be back in there and it was such a shame because they just didn't really seem to get the support that they needed it was like the system was just ticking the boxes with them yeah and they were just caught caught in the cycle of it they they never really got out of that cycle um and I I looked around and thought I'm not this is not going to be my life I will not accept that um I I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to do it. Yeah. But 
but this is not it for me. And I think that was really powerful. Um, But it, it wasn't, it wasn't a defining moment like that. Things were still really hard. I was still self-harming for, you know, a few years after that. Um, I still struggled after that. Um, I went to sixth form after that, (laughs) which was part of this. I think I'm going to have a better life. It's not going to be my life. I'm going to get an education. That's going to be, that's going to be my route out of this. And so again, to go to sixth form, I had to move to Guernsey. I had to live with a family of strangers, (laughs) which was really really hard for this very depressed borderline suicidal teenager um again being sent away to a different island to live with a family of strangers very triggering from all the previous trauma I'd experienced from all the previous times I'd been sent off to live with other people um and I'm just really proud of myself I did it to be honest um that I had that drive in me that fire that wasn't going to accept life and I was going to go and get more for myself and mm-hmm. um, so I started sixth form um, I absolutely loved it absolutely loved it so many opportunities on offer um, I made friends um, I made a best friend we had a really close relationship actually which for me was hard because I really struggled to trust people right. um, I had a boyfriend things really, really looked up. And um, though I moved around the host families a few times, um, things were were good. I was still self-harming most of that time, which I think is quite hard for some people to understand um, because I I was on and off depressed. But the self-harm was, by that point, it was an, an addiction. So even on the days when I felt great, I would still self-harm. It was it was my routine. It was really ingrained after yep. all those years, very sadly. Um, sadly, very, very sadly, um, that was something I hadn't yet kicked. Okay. Um, and the happiness that I felt didn't last. Um, I think I made maybe one term, maybe a term and a half, but certainly I didn't finish the first year. I didn't get to the exam point or anything like that. Um, I became really depressed again, really, really struggled, Um, suicidal. I tried to take my own life while I was at sixth form, Um, ended up back in hospital. I don't think I was in the psychiatric ward that time though, not quite sure why. (laughs) Um, So I moved back to Alderney, um, tried to do some waitressing and stuff, couldn't really hold anything down. The next year rolled around and I wanted to give it another chance. I'd met some people the year before that had retaken year 12. So I thought, this isn't it for me. I've got another opportunity. I am not, this is not going to be my life. I'm going to go, I'm going to get A-levels. And I'm going to try again. Like, I'm not giving up. So I went again lived with um can't remember who I lived with that time but I think people that I already knew or something something anyway um away from home again back to sixth form um and it, it it was horrible actually because I just couldn't I just couldn't do it I really struggled with depression mm. I was still self-harming and it was kind of like going through all of that to try it again and then finding myself still kind of stuck was horrible and 
dropped out of sixth form again because of mental health, didn't get any A-levels at all, felt totally just defeated. I didn't get, I wasn't going to have another chance to retake. That was it. And I hadn't made it and I didn't get any A-levels. So that meant I couldn't get to university. So that meant I couldn't really choose what I wanted to do for work. So how was I going to move away from Alderney? How was I going to make a new life? I don't have any skills. What am I going to do? Um, So really depressed, (laughs) like understandably so. It's a bit of a cycle, right? Yeah, yeah, I was stuck in this cycle of trying, failing, giving up, trying, failing, giving up just over and over and feeling really, really trapped, really trapped. Um, What happened next? I did some waitressing again, struggled to hold down a job, moved back to Alderney to live with my mum, whose benefits then got cut because I, her adult child, not in education, was now living there. Um, Not quite sure how it works, but a lot of pressure was put on me to go and sign on to benefits so that I could pay rent yeah. and pay my own way. So I did. I was signed off um, sick with depression. Um, I went into the benefits office. It was absolutely soul destroying. And the, the woman who worked there, to be honest, I just don't see looking back how she should have been in that job because she was the most judgmental, hostile person be in that role dealing oh, wow. with such vulnerable people so that I felt just worthless absolutely worthless um and it took me a while um to kind of come back from that sure. and if you ask me how did I get over the depression how did I stop self-harming I'm not sure there's a definitive answer to that just time went on um Things got better. My mum did kick me out at one point. I went to go and live with my grandparents from then on. So maybe it was the change of environment that did it for me. Maybe a lot of it was environmental after all. (laughs) And when I changed that, things started to get better. I had a chance. Um, Time passed. I got better with holding down a job. I started getting my energy back. I started kind of building relationships, being able to trust people. I started going out and having fun. Um, And yeah, over time, things got better. I started working at my local insurance office. That was a really big thing for me because the, the branch manager put his faith in me and he saw, um, and so did the other person that worked there, they believed that I could do it right. and they gave me the job. Whereas when I applied, I was thinking I'm not going to get this job. I mean, look at the last few years of my like professional history. <laughs> Who's going to employ me? Bit checkered, yeah. They did. And yeah. um, I, I worked so hard. I did um, my professional qualifications while I worked there. It was a really small team, very kind of um, community focused. Yeah. And I really liked it. And it gave me kind of something to chase again. Oh. I'd failed my levels twice. and I didn't think I'd really be able to do anything or go anywhere. Yeah. And um, so having this opportunity to build a career, I, I started to see again, like, this is my ticket. <laughs> this is yeah. my ticket. I'm going to get it this time. Amazing. 
um, and when things really changed, really changed. So, you know, from ages of kind of 18 to 22, 23, um, I was just living life. You know, I had a friendship group. I was going out, probably drinking a bit much. Um, I had some horrible relationships. I had one particularly abusive relationship, but I also had some good ones. Um, So it's just life. I wasn't really up or down, just getting by. Um, And when I got to 22, 23 was when I started to think, you know, like I've been chasing this ticket for a while and I still haven't haven't really got the ticket out of here. Like I'm still not really where I want to be and I don't think I'm going to get to that place I want to be yeah. unless I leave. Um, so I worked two jobs, saved up enough money to go traveling um, and I left. <laughs> 2017, I left and right. I haven't looked back that the, the courage that I had to leave everything yeah. I've known um, to leave my job, my family, my friends. Um, and I booked a ticket to Bali one way. Um, <laughs> got as, on you, as you do. Yeah. Amazing. Had to be dramatic about it. Oh, of course. I love it. Yeah. And I went. Wow. I went. And that decision is probably the best decision I've ever made because I gave myself that chance to build something better. I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know what my life was going to look like. I just knew that there, I could be more. Yeah. So I flew to Bali. Um, and since 2017, life has just been an incredible adventure for me. Right. Um, in, in Bali, I met... Um, the person that I absolutely love above everyone and everything else. Um, my partner, Connor, met him completely by chance. I was just walking along the beach, um, a beach I wasn't even meant to be on. I've changed my plans. Someone told me it was nice there. Um, ended up going diving with this particular scuba school, just all, all sorts, total kind of chance kind of stuff, yep. um, which is why I do believe I do believe in luck and chance. Like, I don't think that they're going to get you anywhere on their own, but no. they exist. <laughs> um, exactly. Moved to Essex um, after traveling for a while yep. and doing lots of scuba diving, which um, I think was a really good time for me to do scuba diving, actually, because it was really high pressure. So mm-hmm. I did a dive master course. Okay. Totally, totally pushed me outside of my comfort zone. Um, I was 40 meters underwater, low visibility, um, swimming with sharks kind of out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And it kind of, I think in a way it helped to reset my nervous system. Did have a few panic attacks while I was out there, but mm. I didn't know what they were at the time. Yeah. Um, but I think it was a lot of that kind of like, I changed my environment so rapidly. I was away from everything and everyone I've known. And suddenly things started to catch up with me that I, I had maybe been suppressing or wasn't really aware of before. They started to kind of play out, but I could see them this time. Yeah. So it was when I was 23 um, that I first realised that I'd been in foster care as a child. Um, I'd always been told they were family friends and I just accepted it. Yeah. 
And I remember kind of looking out my window one night thinking, this story makes no sense at all. How, who, how, how do you just end up, you know, if I had a baby, how would I end up with this completely unrelated, unknown family looking after that bit? Like, they, they were foster parents, weren't they? Like, let's get real about this. Yeah. I, can, I can deal with this now. I'm okay with it. And yep. I need to see it and accept it. And um, so I asked my mom about it. She's like, yeah, yeah, they were foster carers. Oh. Like, oh my God, how did you not know? Because you always told me they were family friends. Right. Yeah. Why <laughs> um, would you believe otherwise, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just, I started to process stuff, stuff mm. that I'd never processed before. Um, and it was really hard, but it was really freeing. Yeah. Actually dealing with the trauma I don't know what was harder. The good thing about dealing with the trauma was as difficult as it was, and it really took me down to my core because there were some big, big truths that I had been repressing. Um, because when you're a kid, you're reliant on your caregivers, you're reliant on the people around you, um, and you just need to get them to take care of you. And when I stepped away from everybody, I really started to realize like, hold on a minute, none of that was okay. Yeah. I didn't deserve any of that. And um, that wasn't me. It wasn't that I was broken. It, it wasn't that, you know, I did have a chemical imbalance, but like none of this started with me. <laughs> I'm not gonna be blaming myself for that. No. I'm not gonna be blaming anyone else for it either. You know, we all do the best that we can with what we have. Um, there's no point in in holding people at fault. Um, it doesn't get you anywhere. I've learned to let it go. Yeah. But I'm also not gonna not gonna take the fall for it. I'm not gonna be the scapegoat. Um, I started to process a lot of stuff, and through that kind of journey of processing it, um, I started having panic attacks. I started feeling really anxious. Um, the panic attacks, oh, just horrible, horrible, horrible didn't know what they were. I thought I had a heart condition. I even went to the doctors in Essex, had heart tests, oh, okay. um, all sorts of stuff, which is quite surprising. I kind of look back at it now and think, did they not flag that it was a panic attack? But, yeah. You know, we don't have to be well-informed. No, so, <laughs> we're not going to go into that conversation, are we? No. Do that for another day. Park that one for another thing, yeah. Strong opinions on that one as well. Um, yeah. Anyway, I started figuring it out. Things, things did get really bad, though, with the anxiety and the panic attacks. And yeah. my partner um, actually booked me in with a therapist that had been recommended to him. Mm -hmm. I was still in this mindset of, I don't deserve help. Like, mm -hmm. this is just who I am. Like, I'm a broken person. This is me. Like, I can't go and speak to someone. They're not going to fix it because mm -hmm. I've been through the cycle, the circus of counselors who you just speak to them and they were like so I'm hearing that xyz but yes that is what I said to you it doesn't help you process or reframe things they're just kind of parroting right okay yeah the ones I spoke to anyway um great intentions yeah. um didn't really get any results so I was apprehensive about going to see a therapist um and I certainly didn't ask for help it was given to me which I'm very grateful for to this day brilliant um, and 
through many, 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 many hours of therapy, I kind of learned to see that I actually have a choice. I get to choose how I see the world and I can't choose the things that have happened to me. I can't choose the past, that's done. Can't change it, that you just have to accept it. But I can choose to accept it yep. and I can choose to let it go. And I can, sure as hell, choose my future. There's always gonna be things that happen, like I said before about luck and chance. I'm, I'm not denying that they exist, yep. um, but I had been living my life in this kind of state of um, victimhood. I wasn't in the driver's seat. If my life was a play, I was a prop. I wasn't even a character. I, I was not the focus of my own life. Life happened to me. So going, going through therapy and learning that it doesn't have to be like that. Life can happen for me. I get to choose that was really, really liberating. It was really, really empowering. It was a lot of work. I had a lot to unlearn. I had to clear out all of these beliefs that didn't serve me, all of the, the thoughts about how I was broken, how I was the problem, all of those things, they had to go before I could learn something new, before I could bring in new beliefs that were positive and empowering. And, yeah. um, and it was a lot of work and it was very, um, it was very hard, but it was a different type of difficulty this time because yes I would realize something horrific had happened to me or been said to me or something I thought in the past was true wasn't true and it really shook me to my core learning that some of those deepest beliefs that you hold about yourself and the world are false yeah. and they're actually damaging you and um, it really it was it was really hard to have some of those realizations but the world had always been that way. The truth had always been the truth. I just didn't see it. Yeah. So at least by seeing it, I can then navigate my life in a much better way. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I was in therapy for a long time. I still see my therapist every now and again. I'm actually seeing her this afternoon. Okay. Um, but I think the, the best thing about therapy for me was that she's, she's now taught me how to think if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So I can now process things by myself um, that I wouldn't, I just wouldn't have been able to before. Mm. Going to therapy has also kind of given me this wider awareness of other people yeah. and how actually a lot of the time other people are just projecting their trauma onto you and it's actually not about you at all. I'm yep. um, learning to be self-aware of myself and in control of my actions, my behaviors, my habits, and um, my thoughts. It kind of wakes you up to this reality that most people aren't. And so being able to look back on this just horrific, yeah. really horrible journey that I've had through life in many ways, it's been greatness in there as well. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but now I'm I'm 26 and and I just see the world in this whole different light. And I think I've um, defined my values. I I think 
in a way, I'm not going to say it's a gift because it's certainly not a gift and I would never wish anyone to live through what I've been through. I really wouldn't. And it kind of annoys me when people say, oh, yeah, but look at how strong it's made you. But it didn't make me strong. It broke me down. My strength is a choice. Um, but I can look back and be grateful for certain parts of it because I've figured a lot of these things out really early on in life. I'm not going to wait till later on and then realize like damn I wasted all that time yeah, doing stuff that didn't make me happy and yeah. I was always trying to please other people and I've realized that now so I get one life and I'm going to make the best of it everything I do is going to be because I genuinely want to do it yeah. because I can make an impact with what I'm doing because I can make the world better for myself and for others I'm not on autopilot anymore I'm very much here in the driver's seat um, and that is a blessing. I've worked really hard to get to that point, yeah. but I'm here. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, complete my journey. Yeah. You know? Oh my gosh, I, incredible. Yeah. That, was, that was a little bit longer than half an hour, but you know what? It was incredible. No, I just speak for half an hour. You've just spoken for 40 minutes, but don't worry about it. It's incredible. I, you know, that's why I didn't want to stop it because I wanted to hear your side, your journey, your story. And, and I find it just fascinating, you know, it's at your age and I know age should never define what we are, but, you know, having that awareness and that light, you know, that, that thought that you've just shared with us as well. You know, I think at 46 years old, I still struggle sometimes with that, but time is wonderful in terms of when we recognize the value of time and the commitment, you, you know, we had this conversation before about the, the TEDx that I managed to deliver around time and, and it really, is. Brilliant. I was like, well, thank you. I wasn't fishing for compliment, but anyway, but that's that's lovely. I'll accept. I'm like you. I'm like I don't like compliments. I don't like. But but you know, <laughs> this is the challenge, isn't it? It's sort of like we, we don't realise the value of time until we find a place where we understand that we waste it often and we don't you yeah. know and, and we try to go backwards we can't go backwards we're going to go forwards and and actually the present is the most important thing today is another day to to do magical things as I always you know that's what I always say now it's it's a good opportunity and this has been great honestly I, I such a wonderful you know opportunity to sit down with you and to, to to actually what I find really lovely for me and I'm I'm very selfish in this of course is that I get to talk to the real person behind the post you know I'm really lucky with that I genuinely feel that way and i and i'm so so thankful that you you said you would come on and, and have this conversation well you know tell your story and, and just involve uh, you know this conversation into the into this media and, and thank you for doing that uh, we are right at the end and I, i'm just going to ask you just for a couple of words if that's okay just a very brief sort of thought to encourage or whatever you want to share as a final thought if that's okay daisy so i'm going to pass it over to you our past does not define our future I love that. I had it written down and I would have said it otherwise, but it's so true, isn't it? Our past does not define our future. As human beings, we will go through a lifetime of experiences and those experiences will maybe give us a, a lesson or make us understand a bit more about the values. But it doesn't mean that it changes who we are and where we're going. We can do anything. We are magical, we are magical, mythical things that can do anything we put our minds to. And you're doing that right now by going through what you're doing with your law degree. And I wish you all the best on your journey to become a solicitor and keep on shining bright. You are an amazing person, Daisy. So thank you for 
supporting this conversation. Um, as I just briefly share before the end of this, if anybody has been struggling with any of the content, please do know you are not alone. We are here to, you know, to connect and to support if we can, but there are organizations out there that do help support these conversations. If you are struggling, know that Samaritans exists and is there to listen 116123, or you could text to shout 85258. There are many other organizations out there, of course, but you are not alone. That's the most important thing. Daisy, thank you so much again. Just, yeah, sending lots of positive thoughts and energy to you as you continue on your journey. But wish you all the best. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Speak to you soon. Take care now.